0: So we do this sea race and I win it by like, I can't remember if I lapped people or if I almost lapped people, but like it was pretty exhilarating. I I smashed it. I mean, I crashed a bunch. I crashed like 10 times in 30 minutes, like 100% just all over the place. (laughs) Yard sale, but. I won it and I was super just super pumped and then there were like these you know people started showing up for the the b and the a race and they were like well yeah that's cool but like could you do the the b race or whatever and I was like yeah of course I could do the b race so I I signed up threw my five bucks down had a drink of water and lined back up for the 45 minutes (laughs) we went and I just like I punched it with a couple laps to go and I ended up winning that one too and it was like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me (laughs) um (laughs) And of course, like everybody at this point in the the A-Race is lining up, you know, they're like, yeah, well, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that in the A-Race, blah, blah. And I'm just like, hold my beer.
1: From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on this episode, Sheldon and I sit down with three time national cyclocross champ, Stephen Hyde. Sheldon, it looks like your background has changed a little bit. Are you in a different location?
2: I am in Lansing. I am. I'm. I'm back in our hometown. I'm back I'm in Lansing. So all right. Excited to be able to ride gravel again. Have you gotten any
1: gravel rides quite? <laughs> Not yet?
2: here on Sunday. I actually rode from St Clair Shores to Fenton, and I managed to get about. So it was a sixty-four mile ride and I got about twenty, maybe twenty-five miles of gravel in that in that span. And it was it was almost fantastic, except for the entire ride was into a just block headwind. I averaged like fourteen point <laughs> six miles per yeah. I was so dead by the time I got to Fenton. I I was just shell sitting on a bench and people were staring at me as I sucked down packet after packet of baby food
1: (laughs) (laughs) is is that where your ride ended in Fenton it
2: it ended there it was you just you just went straight into the headwind straight west right so yeah and when I hit Fenton it was going to turn it into a full-on crosswind but I was so cooked at that point I just called it there and I, I had to call for a ride Oh man! <laughs> it was yeah. I was I was cooked. I was like I overestim or overestimated my fitness and underestimated the wind. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a
1: typical Sheldon ride for sure. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. Overestimated <laughs> fitness, underestimated every other thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it, typical Sheldon move. <laughs> typical bad decision.
1: So that was still uh, out of Saint Clair Shores, but now you're back in Lansing. Um, hopefully, well, I mean. It doesn't really change much because I probably won't see you out on the road, but you can at least um, have. We might might have a accidental crossing of paths at some point. There might be, but uh, at least you have a. a, You're in closer proximities to some of the fantastic gravel we have in this area for sure. I can't wait. So um it is raining this morning. It is raining this morning. The weather continues to be kind of up and down. We've had some good um pockets of of weather and I've been able to get outside, still doing a little bit of the Zwift thing, um yeah, trying you, to do some more of the Zwift racing, but uh but I've been getting grit, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's another grit uh there's another grit stage so over in Grand Rapids it started out of Marne, which is kind of north of of Grand Rapids there, and uh, boy, this this uh, stage this week was was one for the books. I tell you I, what,
2: I saw there was a Subaru uh, stuck in quite the the pit.
1: So um, again, like we've talked about this in the past couple episodes, but um, the. Some of the people over in Grand Rapids have put together this individual time trial series to just get people out on their own um, to compete against one another on these solo Strava attempts, much like people are doing kind of all over the country. Um, it's it's a ton of fun. This time around, it's it's a kind of gravel centric, and so uh, I did it last week and then this week um, as well. And there's what Sheldon, I almost don't want to tell you about this segment it's it's a little over a mile long it took me over eight minutes to ride it (laughs) (laughs) and uh and some people did a a much quicker than that but uh um i i almost don't want to tell you i just want to take you out there and not (laughs) and just (laughs) Just have you experience it (laughs) let's just say um there's a lot of mud there's a lot of water and puddles and uh and you don't quite know how deep those puddles are might be <laughs> might be waist deep <laughs> might be ankle deep and you don't know it and it's this water ain't clear so you <laughs> you just gotta bet, find I out bet the- t-
2: i bet today anybody that's riding this morning i bet because we got a fresh topping of rain last night so yeah. i'm sure that i'm sure that what's the name of the road i i, I saw you say it on facebook the
1: um or the segment name the segment name is sahara like the sahara desert sahara you now um and i don't know if that's the road name maybe the road is sahara but um is it is it like if it was dry would it be a sand road or it's probably pretty sandy um but there are like legit creek crossings there's like two creek crossings <laughs> through it so it's right up your alley man i think you'd really dig it maybe i have to get out there this weekend it was it was fantastic, and I might try to give it another go before the end of this week, just to now that I've 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 experienced it. And uh, Matt Acker put up a video of him of him rolling through it. Actually, we should link to this video on our on our Facebook page just because it's 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 amazing. It's so great. So yeah. we'll have to we'll have to do that. But yeah, grit series. Um, that was a, that was a really fun ride, and uh, I was soaked, man. The next day. I I rode outside and my shoes were just still soaked from that it was it was great. Um Sheldon, there is another um I don't know if I call it an event, but it is zwift related. But I I'm throwing this out there. I'm wondering if you'd be interested to get your trainer out. My my brother sent me a message the other day. He linked to um Maybe something on Strava, but no. it is it is a it is a Zwift beer challenge.
2: Oh, I mean, you kind of have my curiosity already. <laughs> so,
1: are you familiar with the beer mile?
2: Yes, I am.
1: So you you're on a track. You ha- you drink a beer every single
2: lap. lap of the track. Do you start with a beer? I th- yeah. I think he, I think you. He- Before you can start the cross line, I think you have to finish the first beer. Okay. Like, as you finish it, you toss it and start your first lap.
1: So this is, um, I think this is on Strava, and they have the Beer Bike Challenge. And it's very similar, (laughs) and it is the first to 20 miles. And so your intervals are four miles, and it tells you you have to drink a beer within that four miles. It has to be over four point seven percent. Here's my I- here's my idea. This is this is what I want to do. I want to open this up for whoever wants to do this. We got to figure out a Friday night or a Saturday night. Have an open Zoom challenge, and just anyone that wants to try it, and just open up Zoom.
2: We and we will record you slamming beers,
1: throwing up. <laughs> I think it would be. Oh, so man. I think you got to start five with a beer within, and you have to finish it within that four miles. Um, I I don't know all the rules, but we can figure this out. But so
2: five beers, oh, in twenty. That's that is hard.
1: It's either four or five. I can't figure out the exact. Um,
2: if you have oh, to drink one before you start.
1: Oh, say this has that the official rules. Um, if you puke, add four miles and one beer. Oh. So if you throw up, you have to add time and another beer. If you throw up again, you're disqualified.
2: I mean, if if this was 21-year-old Sheldon, I think I could accomplish this pretty clearly. 35-year-old Sheldon's going Oh. Yeah. I, don't this... know. <laughs> I mean, it might be fun.
1: <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, it sounds like a terrible decision, so I think we we should give it a shot. <laughs> so what, tomorrow? <laughs> I'd have to activate my Zwift. It's worth it. 100% yeah. worth it. So speaking of Zwift, we have a giveaway that our friends at KOM Cycling are, are um, partnering with. They make an incredible trainer block for your front wheel i have one sheldon do you use one of these when you do when have, when do you do. ride the train? when
2: i'm on the trainer when i okay. when i do use my trainer it, it, i absolutely have one it uh i was one of those people for years i used an old college textbook that wouldn't get bought back so i had like a 300 <laughs> you know tire block but um but this um,
1: one's this one's cool. It has like a different levels, so you're not boy, just locked boy, boy, boy. in with with a single um, distance from the ground. You have a couple
2: different options there. Locks it in well. It's really sturdy. If you're I I'm always on a hardwood floor, and it has little pads on the bottom that keeps it from slipping, which is amazing.
1: And I know for a fact that. Um, Talking with Austin from KOM, that it's been one of the hottest items since quarantine, since the lockdown, when people are really hitting their trainer hard, and um, they've kind of sold out of them for a little bit. But I think they're having some more, so they're willing to give us five of these trainer blocks. Um, is that what they call them, trainer blocks? Yeah, yep. Tra- uh, trainer wheel blocks. Trainer wheel blocks to give
2: away. So what we want to do? We're going to have you call into our hotline. Uh, the the number is six one six. 522 2641. We want you to call in, leave a message on how you as a cyclist are coping with quarantine. Are you on Zwift? Are you going out doing solo rides? Are you doing the Grit series out of Grand Rapids? Are you? Tell us what you're doing. Uh, Leave us a message. Remember, three minutes or less because the phone service does have that three minute limit. But we want to hear from you. First five that call in are getting a free KOM wheel trainer block.
1: Yeah. And make sure you tell us your name and all that, uh, important information. Um, but uh yeah yeah, the the equivalent of a ding dong ditch or you
2: don't get a trainer block (laughs) um
1: my my (laughs) guess is your your chances are pretty darn good at at uh at winning one of these trainer blocks so yeah thank you kom for uh supplying us with these um trainer blocks and we are looking forward to hear how you are dealing with quarantine so man a couple uh maybe last week or a couple weeks ago, we had a fantastic conversation with Stephen Hyde. I knew he was going to be an interesting
2: interview. I was not expecting what we got.
1: We're both not like the, the most, uh, experienced or knowledgeable about cyclocross, but I have been a fan of his for a few years, just watching him as he's been winning uh national champion, after championship mm-hmm. after national championship. And, uh, just seems like a really cool guy. Um, for me personally, he's like really into music, so I kind of I kind
2: of dig that whole thing. It's interesting how he started from literally the most grassroots style of cyclocross you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, if, if you five want, dollar entry fees and if you want to
1: hear um, about Stephen's national championship races or hear uh, uh, very detailed about his uh, experience in Europe there's probably other interviews that you could listen to but uh, what we got was a real um, the true building blocks of what made
2: him a national champion
1: yeah we we got to hear his whole story from the beginning and uh, some some really cool um, some really cool stories in there that uh, crossing the nation with without a place to live. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So it was super great experience just to talk with him. And um, and then he told us a little bit about um, his new coaching service that he is rolling out and kind of what his career is going to look like, um, what he thinks it might look like um, now in the future. So um, so yeah, um, should we just get right into it? Yeah, let's hear from uh, Stephen.
0: Hey Steve, right.
2: how's it going?
0: <laughs> Great. How's it going?
2: Oh, I uh, cooped up inside right now.
0: Yeah, join the club. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're held up in okay. Massachusetts, correct? Yeah. Yep. Did uh, did your governor do the state and lockdown kind of like what we've got going on in Michigan right now, or is it more of us just a self-imposed? Or,
0: uh, yeah. No, all the businesses are shut down. Um, just like uh, essential, you know healthcare and stuff like that is kind of the only thing remaining a couple of grocery stores that's about it yeah
2: that's Uh, that's kind of how it is here
0: how are you um how are you getting through the time then well i mean for me it's it's kind of a at first i was like oh god what am i gonna do um especially (laughs) because right you know right now it's like it's april in massachusetts so it's you know you get a day of sun and then four days of just solid rain um (laughs) are you sure you're uh, not talking about
1: michigan right now this sounds like (laughs) Michigan.
0: (laughs) yeah no i I, it's just like that you know the northern part of the country is just brutal this time of year yeah 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 but i've got plenty going on right now i mean i just kind of kicked off a coaching service and and that's been taking some time and um yeah i've I've got plenty to do.
1: This is considered off season for you, anyways, correct? Yeah, yep. Okay. So are you at all training or just basically taking off season?
0: Well, so, you know, I, I typically do two seasons. I do my, my cross season, which is my A season, mm-hmm. and my B season, which is usually prep. Um, I usually take the rest of February off um, and then kind of through the, the beginning of March, and I start training March, April may start to kind of race in like end of may or in june july shut it down and kind of kick over so um it's a pretty short season for me but um you know obviously that didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> so i started to train and then uh, i pulled the plug um you know a couple of weeks into it probably two weeks into it and it was just like all right well there's nothing to do there's nothing to train for necessarily <laughs> You know, I could use some time off really just, you know, that kind of period of time that I normally take is like, you know, the, the kind of the maximum amount I'm allowed before I have to start racing again. And what's really required is a lot more than that. So it was kind of like, all right, cool. This is you, you couldn't pick a better time. You know, I'm tired. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet your coaching schedule is pretty
2: easy. It's like all just base miles.
0: yeah i mean you know depending for for myself yeah it's just it's just mileage for me um and keeping up skills and you know it's time to like this type this time of year is it's not as crucial that i get really good um focused you know fitness Mm -hmm. for me it's like okay when the weather's good go train well you know, go have fun. You know, I, I don't really like. I'm not just on my road bike or whatever. You know, I'm 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 riding some trails. I'm riding my mountain bike or whatever. You know, normally at this time, right now I'm 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 certainly not getting like wild. I'm not going riding my mountain bike or anything like that. And in fact, I really haven't even been outside a ton lately. Um, you know, I, I'm riding a little bit, but um, really, just I'm doing some. I just did a you know hour and a half today on the trainer and uh, pretty pretty unstructured. Um, for, for me. And
2: in, in, in a normal season for you, um, do you do much mountain biking, uh, either as just training or do you even do some mountain bike racing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Um, I mean, I, I kind of started, uh, mountain bike racing, um, back in Northwest Florida, um, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, um, Georgia, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was kind of a long time away from that. And when I got the opportunity, um, you know, essentially I, I decided I didn't want to race on the road anymore full time um, or, you know, for, for what I consider full time for me, mm-hmm. um, kind of gave me the opportunity to get back on the mountain bike and with Cannondale support, it was, it was really cool. Um, so I did a couple of years of just kind of progressive mountain biking and, You know, I've done some of the the epic races. I've done a bunch of UCI racing, did a lot in Canada, the Canada Cups. Um, Yeah, I've been – I was fourth two years ago at XC Nationals and um, just off the podium. And so, you know, it's it's actually something that I really, really enjoy doing. In fact, I mean – all said, I'm I'm probably a better mountain biker than I am a cyclocross racer. I just love cyclocross racing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you had you had mentioned cyclocross being your yeah. A season, so is is yeah. mountain biking your B season? Is that what you were saying or
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, for a minute there was the possibility that um I would was gonna try and go to the Olympics, try to make sure. this Olympic cycle. Um, you know, at the time I was what 30 when i was trying and um i was like all right well you know if i'm I'm gonna do it i might as well do it now and um you know uh and honestly at the time it was it was doable um kind of switching focus and 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 starting to do a lot more specificity around that and start to really build um especially off the bike stuff, doing a lot of gym work and whatnot. Um, You know, I really started to build into that, the idea of that, and some results came, and uh, I was starting to check the boxes off. But kind of at the time, it seemed like uh, it was a real long shot for me making the selection. Um, And this is a a good, you know, take-home point is, you know, a year later, half of the people that I was going up against for the Olympic selection were no longer viable you know athletes so i all of a sudden i'm looking back and going like oh crap i just needed another year and i mm-hmm. actually might have been able to make selection for it um so you know in, in in terms of that like that was kind of my uh my other a season you know for for a minute i was really trying to push hard into that too but um you know, it's really hard to do two separate seasons well. You can do, you know, a lot of people can do two seasons, but doing two well is really difficult. Yeah. So I, I need to just take a step back and, and, yeah, use this, you know, non-cross season as my kind of fun building season. I can do some mountain bike racing, um, which is great because a lot of the racing is, is pretty grassroots. And so you go and you get to see people and you hang out and you, you, you race your bike. It's just as hard as anything else um but a lot lower stakes and then mix in some road racing like last year i went up and did tour both um which i haven't done in a long time since i was on the road oh, wow. um and you know so you just kind of mix in those things like okay do i need a big roadblock cool I'll go do that and can i get some intensity with a mountain bike great let's go have fun and do that do you that, that's
1: i guess like we there's like kind of a diversification of a lot of uh, I see it in a few riders and I'm wondering for you personally, do you find that diversification helpful?
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, all work and no play, you know, it's when you're, when you're super focused on one thing year around. Um, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be super focused on one thing for six months out of the year. Um, you need that time. You need that like kind of refreshing time. And there's, there's some that do it, completely year-round. You know, there's some that just jump right into the the Pro Conti level on the road and and race and do do some classics races or or go out and, you know, do stage racing, and then they go right back into cross. So um, without a massive level of support, that's really difficult. And so for me, I kind of need to pick, you know, what fits into my bandwidth and how much connection and fun do I actually need to hold me over for, you know, the time where I actually have to really focus, um, and kind of battle daily to get through those seasons. So, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's focused effort and sometimes it's like, it's just, you gotta go find what's refreshing. So you
1: mentioned, uh, racing on the road, mountain bike, of course, cyclocross. And I know you do some, uh, or you, you started with some BMX racing or riding or whatever. Am I correct?
0: yeah 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 so i i for a long time i was um like uh you know i did street did, did dirt jumping stuff like that and, and i still do a little bit uh-huh. uh it's it's not <laughs> it's very difficult for me to do now i mean i i, I went out a couple of weeks ago and just bailed once and like pulled something in my groin. <laughs> I'm like, I'm whipping around. I came back, and my wife's just like, "What did you do?" I'm like, "I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I admit it." But yeah, that was a really big focus for a long time for me um, throughout middle school, high school, and, and into my kind of early twenties. So um, everything, yeah. everything kind of has
1: been while different, uh, different iterations of it. It's all about the bicycle and riding the bike in different ways. Um, said, uh, what, did you, you grew up in Florida, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Northwest Florida and Pensacola.
1: Okay. And that's when you were like
0: getting to know the bike a little bit as
1: you were growing up.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, if, for me, uh, you know, I was from kind of a small, uh, farming community, if you will, um, kind of on the, the suburban cusp of it. And, um, you know, that was just how we got around. Like that was our, um, that was our means of, of freedom and, and transportation. And, and mm-hmm. we had, we were able to take liberties with that and just kind of take off and do what we wanted. I mean, from a little kid, like we were just, we were, we were outdoor kids, you know, my whole neighborhood was, so it was always kind of like, yeah, you have your breakfast and then you come home at night <laughs> as a kid. And, and bikes just kind of developed as a piece of that. Um, and then, yeah, and then when when BMX became kind of part of that, it was an extension of that. And when we got cars, even more so. I mean, I mean, probably when I was fourteen or fifteen, started jumping in cars with people and driving to say, I don't know, like Tallahassee or New Orleans or, or Atlanta and Birmingham. You know, getting out and meeting other people, riding bikes, and going to skate parks and living on the road. I mean, <laughs> we'd probably cram like six or seven people plus bikes into like a Honda Accord <laughs> to the for the weekend, you know, as long as, as long as I was back by like Sunday night to go to school, you know, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: then how does that develop into, uh, uh, discovering the mountain bike or, or racing on the road? How does that kind of, yeah. Develop from there?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting. Like I always, even before I got into BMX, I, you know, I would go, to the, the grocery store or whatever my parents and I would see the, the mountain bike magazines. I'd be like, Whoa, that, that's so cool. You know, like I, I didn't really, I don't know. I just saw bikes and people doing cool stuff on it. I, I didn't realize that there were like trails. I didn't realize that there were, you know, such extreme methods of expression through mountain biking or anything like that. But I just thought it was really cool. There was lots of colors. They were all in the woods. I loved that. Um, and so as a kid, I rode, you know, my like cheap mountain bike around a lot. And, Um, we would go camping a lot as a kid and, um, you know, we were pretty poor. So like we did free stuff. We did anything as a family that we could do for free and camping was certainly one of those. And often we would end up kind of in the middle of nowhere and, you know, I would go, uh, you know, the only elevation in that part of Florida is where all the creeks are. And so a lot of the the dirt roads that lead down to the creeks start up on the paved road and then they kind of go down and they're sandy. So they have water bars and I would just start over the roads and just rip the whatever mile and a half or two miles it was as fast as I could and like jump the water bars to get down to the bottom and then start back over, you know, grab some water and like ride my, (laughs) ride my bike back up. I put like a dirt bike helmet on and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it was like, that was what I, I kind of saw mountain bikes. I saw dirt bikes and magazines and whatever. And I just, I made whatever I wanted to out of it. Eventually, um, in high school, I started working in a bike shop and, um, kind of where I got my first real mountain bike was there was this old Gary Fisher Tasahara in a U-Haul that we kept as storage. Um, and they were tossing it out one day and This is like my first, you know, month or two there. And I was like, Hey, can I, can I have that? <laughs> you know, it was a total piece of trash, but like, uh, some, you know, this guy, Chris that worked there and uh, was like, yeah, yeah, you should take it. And yeah, here's some cranks. Those things are worn out. And, you know, I, I learned to like rebuild wheels with it. I took them apart and, that was kind of my apprenticeship was that, you know, there was a guy I rode BMX with that worked at the shop. He was the master mechanic and he was like, Hey, uh, you should come work for me. Um, we were both into the punk scene and you would seen him at shows and he was a doorman and he kind of took me under his wing there. And they were like, here's this mountain bike, you know, learn to, to maintain it. And I loved it. I loved maintaining it. I loved like tweaking it in little ways. And and they took me out to the trails at the university and, um, oh, I just, I just had a blast. I I've immediately, was just hooked and um, they, they took me to a mountain bike race there and uh, you know, the boss gave me like a hundred dollar bill and was like, look, man, pay your entry. And if you beat Chris, keep the rest. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I think this is my, <laughs> I, I think is my competitive side coming out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I did, I beat him, but I, I dropped my water bottle you know, I, like, crashed a 100 times. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I was just super hooked from then on out. Um, and I, I rode that mountain bike for, for years. I loved that thing. And um, I got more involved with the mountain bike club there. And uh, I got rid of my truck, and so I started commuting. I got a fixed gear bike, and I was riding that thing around. And then um, so I would kind of ride my, my mountain bike from, from downtown Pensacola, the, the whatever, 15 miles to the trail ride the trail or, you know, ride to work and then ride to the trail and then meet those guys after work and ride, ride the trails and ride home, ride to the punk club or whatever. So it just, it was an extension of like, Oh man, if I just add more bikes to my life, I can just ride more bikes <laughs> in different places. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and I moved around from shop to shop and, and, um, I got into road riding. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, started putting together a lot of like uh, like older bikes. Like People would bring bikes in and just be like, "Ah, I don't want to deal with this thing. And, and I always kind of saw that as like a fun challenge. And so I'd tear them down, find parts for them, build them back up, and send them off to a friend. And that eventually turned into a little bike shop in my garage, and um, then a community shop. And, and so I was doing a little bit of racing, but doing a lot of just community involvement with bikes. And that was just a lot of fun for me. Um, I ended up leaving Pensacola and building up a touring bike and riding across the country to, to Oregon, um, moved there, worked worked at some shops there. And, uh, wait, wait, hold on.
1: You got to talk a little bit more about this.
0: (laughs) Well, I, um, well, (laughs) it was, uh, it was kind of harebrained. Like, uh, my partner at the time was, Uh, also getting into bikes and um, you know she was like well I want to move to San Francisco Um, and her sister lived there and I had a friend there, a good friend there and um, I was like well you know I guess I want to move to San Francisco too. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, Oh, well, uh, yeah, you can come too, but, uh, we gotta, we gotta ride our bikes there. Like this is, that's <laughs> the only way it's going to happen. And I was like, yeah, duh, that's the only thing that makes sense. Uh, we sold all of our stuff, got rid of everything. I mean, we sold that mountain bike, sold my road bikes and, um, just had this, this one, one, I had a certainly big dummy, you know, one of those big extra cycles mm-hmm. and, um, slapped that thing together and we headed off to San Francisco. And, um, <laughs> Around Texas, we got the note that her sister was no longer wanting to live in San Francisco, and <laughs> we no longer had a place to stay when oh we got there. So, uh, <laughs> um, that didn't really phase us that much, so we, we kept going. We, were, we stayed at my aunt's house in, in Houston for a week and just kind of recouped that, that first leg of the trip, and um, we we're like, well, well, shit. <laughs> I guess we don't really have anywhere to go. We don't have jobs. Uh, I guess we just extend our trip out a little bit more. Like what the hell? So a friend of mine was like, Hey man, I'm in, I'm in Portland now. Uh, an old BMX friend of mine. And he was like, I'm in Portland now. You should come through and stay. I'm like, well, yeah, sure. That makes sense. So we rode up through, uh, New Mexico and, and, and Utah and Idaho and kind of made our way into Oregon. Then we're going to, we're going to rip down the coast and end up in San Francisco. But man, Oregon was cool. Like Portland was, was really rad. And, um, my friend was living there in an apartment with, no furniture uh had taken the door off of his refrigerator to use as dry storage and had his little sleeping bag roll up in the corner and so we just kind of moved in with him we had three sleeping bags all <laughs> <and spent laughs> out of the living room and uh lived there for a little bit and um i i found this this, this bike shop there this like um used store built out of this huge quantity hut <laughs> just piles of parts just loads of parts and this was like my heaven. you know i walked in there and i'm like Oh God, like all this old nerdy campy stuff. And I'm just like totally digging into all this esoteric stuff, all this really cool, um, Northwest, like handmade stuff that's just laying around in piles. And I was like, Hey, I really need to work here. (laughs) uh, Like, yeah, not a chance, man. This is, yeah. Everybody in Portland wants to work here. Like whatever. Um, you know, everybody wants to work at a bike shop there. So I, I kind of showed up and I was like, look, I just, I really just want to work here. Like, what do I got to do? Uh, I'll work for free. Like, just, just let me like organize this stuff <laughs> as it's a rat's nest and I can help. Like I can put together a plan to like, maybe, I don't know, make, you know, have an idea of like something fun to do with some of these bikes and whatever. And the people behind the counter was like, look, I, I don't care. We don't own the place. Like just, just do whatever you want. And, and probably two days of that. And the owner came in and he came through and he was like, Hey, who, who the hell are you? <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm Steven. I'm volunteering. And he's like, we don't have volunteers. I was like, I'm your first. <laughs> um, you know, we, we chatted, talked bikes, and he was like, what are you even doing? And I kind of showed him what I was doing, and I was, I was, I was digging through parts, getting rid of the, the, the app's actual trash uh, and putting it in recycling and building out correct group sets of all of this old, you know, all this old sun tour stuff, all this old campy stuff, uh, early Shimano stuff. And just, just trying to get it together to match up with bikes that they had on the floor that either I didn't, you know, think were period correct or should be period correct, or just like needed something better than the, whatever, you know, eight speed group was on it. So he was like, Hey, do you want a job? Do you want to work? (laughs) Um, and I got a job there pretty quick. So I ended up staying there and, and, um, didn't really do a lot of racing, although I had some friends into racing. I only had my touring bike, um, but through that shop, you know, I started picking up bikes. I had this like this uh, Bridgestone XO that I, I still actually currently have. Um, some, so I had an old uh, early '60s custom Paramount. Um, all these bikes that I just kind of like took parts, put them together, saw how big of a tire I could put on it. And then, like, fastened bags or something on it and just did a lot of, like, overnight bike touring, a lot of, like, trail riding on road bikes or whatever. I had a Rivendell for a while and took old mountain bikes and put drop bars on them. Just, you know, made fun bikes with them. Um, and, and it was really cool. And then, and, and actually, I went to my first cyclocross race there, uh, the, the Alpenrose, um, uh, you know, Cross Crusade. My, a friend of mine actually was going on a blind date and was like, Hey, I, I need you to wingman for me, like I think you' gonna bring like she's gonna bring a friend and like I, I don't know what to do, I'm really nervous. It's like a friend of a friend of mine and but well, I was like, Yeah, whatever, man, I'll hide with you We went there and like you know, so I'm supposed to be hanging out and being a wingman, but like I'm I'm looking at the circus going on outside and I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second, like how come we're not talking about this weird-ass thing that's going on around us? Like, like, <laughs> I just saw a unicycle race start. Like, what the hell's happening? Um, and so I just, like, I, I got this idea that I was like, whoa, I think that's the perfect sport. Um, I have still don't understand what it is, but I think it's the perfect sport as far as I can tell. Um, and uh, I, I went, you know, I eventually ended up back in Florida and uh I, I still never did any racing there i ended up back in florida worked at another shop and, and some of the guys there that um uh ended up coming through through the the cycling club and stuff you know invited me out and, and you know it turns out that i was pretty strong from doing all the you know i had a great base period i rode across the country for three months that, that's a great base period um did all this this good fun hard riding with all my friends that were racing and then ended up back in Florida. And, just had a really good time riding with a, a group of people that I kind of never probably would have connected with um and they I you know I didn't have a car still um so I was riding my big dummy with my my either my road bike or my mountain bike uh attached via a fork mount to the back <laughs> um and uh so I would do that and then go ride with them after work and then meet back at the shop and then and load everything back up on my bike and ride home um and Eventually, they were just like, "Hey, look, you should come road racing with us." And uh, so I would, you know, jump into whatever car whoever was going to whatever race and just go do it. And then, um, and then eventually, I got a mountain bike, and again, and same thing. Like it was like, "All right, let's go road racing on Saturday and mountain bike racing on Sunday." Who's driving? Who can I go with? Um, How old are you at this point? Twenty-one. Okay. Yeah, 21, 22. Um, so, you know, I'm like, I'm working full time. Um, I'm working full time at the shop. I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm in bands. I'm doing stuff like, um, um, community clinics at the co-op or out of my house. Um, going to shows, you know, like probably sleeping four hours a night, uh, <laughs> definitely drinking way too much. Um, <laughs> just being a kid, you know, and, and, but also doing all this, this racing that I'm just, you know, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning to go do the group ride in the morning. And I don't know, I'm just murdering myself, but I'm having a lot of fun. And and it just, I'm still at the same time, like I'm going through the categories and and having fun and hanging out with these older people that are, are kind of pushing me and bringing me around, but I'm still like, yeah, but I'm a mechanic, you know, I I really want to be a mechanic. Um, And uh, I chase that around, you know, I, I move up to Martha's Vineyard to work during the summers with a guy um, who's a ex, you know, ex elite racer who owns a bike shop up there, and he kind of became my first coach, and did summers there, and um, thought, oh, well, this is my opportunity to like race some cyclocross. I, I'm in New England now, and you know, at least during the, the summer, and then I kind of have the winters to do anything. I went down to DC for a winter, um, and worked at a bike shop there, and did the the Mavera and the the Max series down there, and um, bought a couple of giant, uh, aluminum frames through the shop and put them together with some campy 10 speed and kind of did my thing and loved cyclocross, just loved it. Just couldn't get enough of it. Sold my mountain bike. Um, you know, I had a road bike and I had my, my cross bikes and that was, that was it. I would ride all the races or jump in the car with somebody and get to the races. And, uh, this guy Pat down there would, would take me. Um, and actually when I started racing cyclocross in DC, I didn't have cyclocross bikes, so I would actually use his Candale CAD you know, whatever, like seven <laughs> um, commuter bike that this guy Pat used. Um, he would ride it to the bike shop on, on Friday after work, drop it off for me. I would take the rack off of it and the fenders and, and put some like knobby tires on it that I found in the dumpster. And he would take me to the races on, on Sunday and Saturday. And, um, and then, you know, Monday morning, you got to take the rack, put the rack back on it and wash it and get it back ready and had it ready for it to commute on. Um, and so that was, like, the first, you know, probably five or six races of that series that I just, like, I rode on this guy's bike. Um, but, again, like, it was just super fun. I just really liked it um, and ended up back in New England and just kind of eventually got on the Jam Fund program, uh, went back to Oregon for a second to do um, – to do bike school at UBI, um, did some racing out there, had a lot of fun, went down to San Francisco, did some racing, just kind of living out of my car. And, uh, eventually just got hooked up with, with Al Donahue at the, um, at the, in the jam fund and, uh, kind of had the opportunity to try out and, uh, went to a race with them and ended up winning the race. And it was a kind of a quick turnaround from like, yeah, we don't really have a spot to welcome to the team. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then I made my, you know, I did another summer out on Martins Vineyard, and and then eventually kind of made my move to to race road here and in in, uh, in East Hampton, and lived, you know, on people's couches and spare rooms and uh, race a road. Went through that pretty quick, and by the end of that that first year, uh, I was kind of racing racing elite cyclocross, and then eventually got a road contract the next year for from estella's pro cycling so it it seems like about 15 minutes worth of time to me (laughs) but i like left high school to ending up here but uh there was a a lot of went down a lot of roads to get here
2: so when you started uh your first cyclocross was that kind of the Unsanctioned local cycle crossing or was it? Were on the East Coast? Was it already uh, pretty organized through USA Cycling?
0: Yeah. So actually, it was an unsanctioned race, and I, I skipped this part. But it was actually in Florida, in Tallahassee. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, when I was saying that, I, I I'm kind of a magnet for old bikes and people's leftover parts. Somebody came into the bike shop one day and was like, "Hey." here's this a friend of mine actually passed away and here's a box of old parts um you know spokes and old frame building manuals and stuff like that and and then in kind of beside the box was this like 58 centimeter uh bianchi reporter Corsa steel frame and fork and i was just like is that a touring bike like what the heck is that thing and i was like oh my god no it's a cyclocross bike I've never actually seen one of these in person and uh, he's like, yeah, man, it's yours. You can do whatever. So I, I built it up with a bunch of like random 10 speed parts that I had laying around and uh, started riding it around. And my friend Cody was just like, Hey, like, what's up? What's going on here? This this looks fun. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's cyclocross. I think we just go ride around in a park. It seems stupid. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and uh, so he's like, yeah, de- definitely. And so we like ordered a rock lobster, a, like a dented rock lobster off, off, off uh, eBay. And we kind of just had fun building up these bikes. And then, I don't know, just kind of, we watched some YouTube videos and then we were like, yeah, that looks doable. And we went to the park and we made this little cyclocross course. Like, I I don't even know what we were looking for. We just did it and we had fun. And then next thing you know, our friend Dave is doing it with us and we're like, all right, all right, this is, this is great. Um, And then he came up and was like, Hey, look, there's a race in Tallahassee. Um, We can go stay with my friend and just ride over to do the race. And like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Uh, we, We drove to Tallahassee a couple hours. We stayed at his friend's house and, you know, we woke up, had to breakfast and we rode our bikes over there. Probably brought like a bottle you know a couple of gels with us and just kind of rolled up put our five bucks down and, and signed in and we did this the the sea race the 30 minute sea race both of us did and i've got like a road crank on there i think i have got like a 52 on this thing and, <laughs> and like uh you know can't be 10 speed this thing's a beast <laughs> um and uh so we do this 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 sea race and i win it by like i, I can't remember if i lapped people, or if I almost slap people, but like, it was pretty exhilarating. I I smashed it. I mean, I crashed a bunch. I crashed like 10 times in 30 minutes. Like, 100% just all over the place. (laughs) Yard sale. But, I won it, and I was super, just super pumped. And then, there were like these... You know, people started showing up for the, the B and the A race, and they were like, well, yeah, that's cool, but, like, could you do the, the B race or whatever? And I was like, yeah, of course I could do the B race. So I, I signed up, and the guy's like, yeah, okay, sure, man, whatever. <laughs> um, threw my five bucks down, had a drink of water, and lined back up for the 45 minutes to <laughs> And uh, at this point, Cody was also in it with me. He was just like, yeah, definitely, let's do this. We're going to be tired. But uh, we went, and I just, like – I. Punched it with a couple laps to go, and I ended up winning that one too. And it was just like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> um, and of course, like everybody at this point in the the A race has lining up. You know, like they're, they're literally lining up as we're finishing. They're like, yeah, well, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that in the A race. Blah blah. And I'm just like, hold my beer. <laughs> and I asked the the promoter, I'm like, hey man, look, I'm out of money. I just jump in this one. He's like, by all means, I will pay you to do this one. So I'm like, Cody, good God. Just like, find me some water. I need a gel. Like I'm cracking. I think I'm cramping, but I can't say no because I'm an idiot. And, uh, I line up and all these guys are just like, Oh God, this guy, like, what the hell is he doing? And from the gun, you know, it's like, it's going, I'm, I'm already warmed up and we're, we're rolling. And I decide, you know what? Like, Fuck it! And I just I punch it. I attack the group, and everybody's like, "God, what is wrong with this guy?" Like, why not he just stop? Eventually, I start to come apart, like absolutely come apart. And I'm like, "Cody, dear God, get me a gel or something." And he hands <laughs> me a bottle of the gel. I down it, but I'm I'm absolutely just obliterated. And guys start passing me, and uh but then Cody's on the side. He's like. Dude, you, you blew up everybody. There's only like five people left. All you gotta do is just like finish this thing and you're gonna like get paid. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I finished and I think I got like fifth or sixth or something like that. I don't remember, but I finished in the money and, uh, you know, I got my like $20. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it's interesting, like, I just I had no idea what I was doing. I, I was just like crashing all over the place, but I was just so into it. It was just the explosive nature of it um, doing something you're, you're not supposed to be doing on that bike, you know, kind of, um, it was just super competitive, super intense. And I, I loved it. And, um, it's funny years later, I went down to, to Gainesville and I walked in this bike shop and I was hanging out and I was asking about these stickers they had behind the counter. And, um, they were like, Oh yeah, I'll get you some of those. And, and this guy kind of popped back and he was like, Hey, were you at the cyclocross race in Tallahassee like three years ago? <laughs> like, oh yeah, that was me. And he's just like, oh my god, he we, like went and got this other person and came back. He's like, it's him, it's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, dude, they're yours. It's, it's free, man. Just like whatever you want. Like, I can't believe we've talked about you a hundred times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're your infamous, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Um, <laughs> So so that's kind of how I actually got started. It was years later before, you know, a couple of years after that before two or three years till I actually did another cyclocross race. Um and then when I was in DC, it was all it was sanctioned racing. It was um it was, I believe it was USAC and and Mabra. Um so, you know, it was it was really cool. It went from that being my only only experience to kind of jumping in and and trying to take it a little bit more seriously and um it was fun to learn on the fly of like, oh, this is what, this is what like racing organizations do. This is how this stuff works. Oh, there's, there's, there's upgrade stuff I had no idea. I didn't know you'd started at a four and ended up at a one, you know? Um, you, uh, yeah.
1: you mentioned the jam fund that that's like a youth development or how, what is the jam fund? Will you explain that to us?
0: Yeah. So the jam fund is, is based in, um, in East Hampton, Massachusetts. So it's, uh, J a M jam, um, it's Jeremy Alec and Makunda. Jeremy Powers, mm-hmm. uh, Alec Donahue, and McKenna Feldman. So, um, Jeremy Powers, as we know, is the you know four-time yep. national champion. Um, Alec Donahue is the coach for the head associate coach for Cycle Smart, um, great racer in his own right, um, but coach to many and my former coach as well. Um, and uh, McKenna Feldman is a also a racer from the Valley and um, had a lot of involvement back then. So it was a not necessarily youth development, but a development program um, okay. that stemmed off of the NCC, the Northampton Cycling Club's uh, elite racing program. Um, and, yeah, it, t- it took, you know, aspiring racers uh, that had a goal of becoming professionals or reaching, you know, a pretty high level with it. And, uh, you know, unlike a lot of development programs that start with, you know, the necessity to start with youth, you know, taking, taking really young kids and putting them out there, they kind of, they would take a, take a 25 year old like myself and and see some potential there and um, work not only in, in terms of their cycling, but like, you know, it's a little bit of a, a life, life coaching group too, you know, just like okay. all coaching is kind of a, you know, you're, you're 90% life coach and <laughs> you know, t- 10% cycling coach. Um, it was a really cool is still a really cool, like kind of community based um, program. And when I got involved in that, it was a really interesting fit for me because a, I had this guy from, from Martha's Vineyard, this Rodrigo, who was on that program, who I worked with, and was just like, man, you're, you're the perfect candidate for this program. Like, you got to meet Al. You gotta, you're just like, this is it, man. you, you got to get over there. And I ended up not meeting him through that connection. Um, I had Lyme that summer, um, contracted Lyme that summer, and, and mm. you know, went through the antibiotic cycle and all that stuff. So I didn't end up actually racing that year in, in Massachusetts or in New England like I wanted to. That's when I drove across the country. I, I bought a Volvo, drove to Portland, did bike school, ended up doing a little bit of racing out there and having fun. Uh, but when I was in San Francisco afterwards, kind of did a little coastal tour. Uh, I met another person down there uh, through racing. Um, and she was on the MIT cycling team before and was like, man, you really got to meet this guy Al. He was my coach and I think you guys are going to perfectly. He runs this jam fun program. I was like, Oh, I, I, I'm actually aware of this. I, I, I know. So, so now we've got this like East coast and West coast connection uh, to this one person and me and you know it turned into this like okay this is getting ridiculous like yeah we should probably meet like let, let's let's at least feel this out um so I drove back across the country ended up here and um I was living in the one of the closed down campgrounds here in the fall uh in my in my wagon and uh went riding with these guys and I just you know we took our road bikes and we went out and I ended up like hiking somewhere with them on our back. And I was like, this is my kind of riding. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, eventually it was like, look, we don't have a spot for you. Um, it's just, you know, it's too late. Like we've already kind of started the season and you know, we just, we just don't have the resources, but you know, especially cause you don't live here in the Valley. Eh, it's just, it's just a problematic, but I'm happy to like, happy to help you out and happy to kind of get you just, you know, come to a race with me. Like, let's, let's just see how it goes. Um, so we were to this Cheshire race in Connecticut." A local race and uh yeah i show up there i think my like skin suit was broken i had some like safety pins in it (laughs) had my own bikes and show up with him and you know there's all these like kind of new england royalty there for for me for cyclocross i'm just freaking out and um we do the race uh i i'm sitting in the group like just kind of relax, having fun. And I was like, what are you doing, man? We're all suffering. Like you should attack the group. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. So I, I attacked and I went and Myerson went with me and he countered and, and kind of came with me. And we went up these railroad tie stairs up into the woods and there was this cool, like single track twisty descent, like pretty hard, you know, like tight kind of like kid trail thing that goes through the woods. And uh, we ripped through there and like, It's a five-second descent, and I just put so much time into him. By the time we came out of there, I probably had, like, 10 or 15 seconds on him, and I just rolled it. And um, we go through, and there's this hill on the backside that's, like, super steep. Everybody runs. so Everybody kind of collects there and and yells and kind of heckles or whatever. And I go through probably four laps to go, and I'm off the front and it's somber like these guys are like oh hey man way to go they're about to lap you like no big deal you're fine <laughs> and uh then they come Myerson comes through everybody like cheers and they're like oh my god this is the greatest uh myers winning the race and they finally figured out they're like wait, wait, wait no that guy's winning <laughs> and then they come back through the lap again and they're like oh my god we don't know who you are and um I ended up winning the race. I ended up like rolling across on a flat and uh, still, you know, I still won it. And, you know, Adam came through and was just like, hey, good, good job. What the fuck? Who? I. Um, and the <laughs> same thing. Al came across the line and just, you know, was breaking with one hand and had his shaking hand out in the other and put it out. We shook hands. He was like, welcome to the team. We'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I found that the, the cool thing about that program for me was that you know, I, I saw this niche where like, okay, if you don't necessarily have a spot, you know, fully supported spot for me, I understand. Uh, you know, I don't even live there, but let me make myself useful. You know, they they had a mechanic that was working for them, but it was just on the weekends. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people in that program. There's there was probably five or six people at the time. And um, it's pretty ragtag and you kind of show up and bring all your own equipment. So I, I found this like niche where I could, continue teaching people what i like to do which was work on bikes um i can maintain some bikes for them during the week and they kind of gave me a job and they paid me to do it and um then i get to race bikes and and help out and be part of the team in a big way um so i kind of did that i got uci points that year for the first time and um ended up going to nationals actually as a mechanic i ended up racing the elite race but i also was a mechanic for um (laughs) and and did pit for you know the masters and the women and everything else so it's kind of a, a really fun time
2: now, what year was that?
0: <clears throat> Good question. Uh, Two thousand thirteen.
2: Okay, I think. Now, when was the first time that you uh, went over? Or twelve? Went over to Europe and raced for the national team.
0: Um, so the first time I went over was after um, was for Tabor, um, just after um, after uh, nationals in Austin. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I was still racing. So I think, so it must have been 2012 when I started, 2014 I think was then. Um, I was on the Jam Fund still, and, um, you know, I kind of just, I just, I made the criteria. I started racing. I got to podiums and was actually like a top ten contender, and I can't remember. I think I was eighth or something at nationals that year, um, just behind Dan Timmerman and um essentially i got the call up and did some fundraising and, and powers you know part of his deal with the with the program with the development program was like okay once you make it to a level then i take care of you like you know the, the rafa focus the aspire like that that's kind of where that that kicked on um uh, where he was definitely a mentor to me um uh, all of a sudden you know instead of going on to, with the national team i'm going to europe with him uh you know, as a national team member. So um, to date, I actually have not gone over to Europe as a full national team supported member. Um, I have only gone over as a, you know, trade team supported national team member.
2: What kind of difference do you see in the European cyclocross community versus uh, the U S cyclocross community?
0: Um, It's more fractured for sure. Um, I, you know, European cyclocross is so professionalized Mm -hmm. um, compared to American cyclocross that it's, it's almost not even the same thing. You know, there aren't amateur races on the same day. If there are, it's, it's kind of smaller races that have them. Um, they, the, the fans tend that are there on race day tend not to be racers or, you know, like as active racers as we get here. Um, there's usually like a like a midweek or like on Saturday or whatever, there's the the B races or the C races they have, and the, the, you know, the local races, the master's races, et cetera. Um, usually not on the same course. They're usually somewhere else. Sometimes they're on the same courses. But a lot of those courses take up, you know, it's like you take your, your hometown, you shut down the town. Uh, you only make it to where people can drive in if they have a sticker. Uh, people are bused in. So you can't just kind of let the general public run around on these courses because it's it's like through a seven hundred year old church and through like you know the school and <laughs> through the main street and these cobble things you know so it's not as simple as like putting in a park and letting people just kind of have their you know let them do their thing. Um, you don't have the the time to have the level of production uh, level of courses and allow all these other races to happen um so you know there's a lot of amateur cyclocross races in in belgium or in in europe they're not ever you you know in the same places in fact a lot of the amateur racers don't go to these races they can watch them at home they're probably just going to go ride on saturday or sunday instead of going to these races it's mostly families um and older people that are going to like bet and drink and and you know eat sausages and hang out it's a it's You know, it's going to the ball game. It's a (laughs) tailgating. Yeah, it's a tailgating thing. I mean, like, people don't... A lot of people don't even drive to the races. Uh, each, Each, like, supporter club or town will charter buses. And so you meet in your local town square or whatever, you know, 60 or whatever of you get on this bus or 10 buses, however many people you have in your club, and they... The buses drive you there, you get dropped off, you go to the beer tent, you get some tickets you get hammered you get back on the bus and you go home um so it's not it's it's almost not even relatable in a lot of ways i mean you know you go to a race in the u.s and i drive up in my car rental car or whatever get taken to the venue and i get to walk around and say like hey how's it going oh man how's your race going great cool you know you get on the course you got a couple of other people you got a master's racer you got a kid's racer um you got a cat three racer whatever you get to watch a couple of other races you hang out, you get some high fives, you get back in your, your you know, tent, whatever, and you kinda you go home and you, you see the same people again. But in Europe it's it's the crowds are kind of all in their own places. You kinda go in this back door, you show up, you get your tent. Yeah, there's there's crowds and there's people and there's fans and whatever, but you don't know them in the same way as you do uh you know, your your friend from wisconsin that is at the same race as you and like also raced and is giving you some advice or whatever you know it's not it's just not the same relationship as
1: as an athlete do you find that you're more or does it feel more supported like with the u.s model than say the the european model
0: on a personal level yeah i think people that really get behind people in the u.s really get behind their their racers i mean there's a real like there's love for the underdog in the U S there's love for, for everybody that's participating. Um, and some of that's changing in, in Europe. Actually, we're seeing a little bit of a difference where when I started racing there, you would go through a section and you could hear the crowds going, but the section you're in is dead, dead silent because they're there to see one person. Hmm. They have a, they have a, they support one person and they're there to see that person, maybe two people. It's like one person from their hometown, whoever's the Belgian national champion, whoever's the world champion. And like, that's it. And you know, it wasn't, wasn't the first season that I really had any fans that didn't really know me. And I had a couple of people. I think they were really surprised when people would actually had somebody, the, the, one of the first races I did came up and like printed a picture of me off the, off my Facebook page and made rider cards. It was like, will you sign these? Yeah. Um, and i was like oh my god like what the hell uh but you know and i think a lot of people were and they started doing that and like there were like 10 or 15 people that did that and i was like this is just super weird and they were really surprised at how I could probably taken aback by how like outgoing and how i just wanted to talk to them i was like i asked their name you know it, it's not really the same same kind of interactions you get so in the u.s it, it it's a lot easier going people come up and they're like Hey this is my son and this is my daughter. they raced this morning. They thought you did really well. We actually don't know your name you know like uh, or oh we're big fans and like this is great they also raced and, and I also race and we connect on that level. And although people can be fans here, they also have a really good connection through doing the sport themselves. Um, and that's just a unique difference. Interesting. So
1: in terms of then just the racing, and the riding over there, what, what were some of the big takeaways when you started racing in Belgium and in Europe?
0: <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> like I didn't, I, I got over there. And I was just like, I mean, the first race I went to was this was spa. It was the first year they had done spa Francorchamps. And if, if you know, spa, if you've seen that race, it was a super prestige race. And I did it a couple of years and, um, it's on the spa, uh, you know, F one track, and it's in it's in the Flemish Ardennes, um, in in the spa region where they where the water comes from. You know, the uh, sparkling water, and um, it's super hilly. Like it's in, in the kind of sub mountains and very wooded, and just like the most brutal course I've ever seen. And like everyone was like, "Hey, should I? If I do this, like if I go, should I do this race?" They're like, "Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen it before. It's a new race. <laughs> so yeah, whatever." It was the single scariest I have ever done in my life. Like I threw up and it was so huge. Like the start hill, I was like, everyone was spinning their tires going up the start hill on pavement. Like it was so big and so dumb. And like, we're running downhill on this like slight downhill grass. Cause it's so thick. It was just like getting my head kicked in. And like we, we pulled out. I mean my first, it all started like, as we rolled up, I had this mechanic uh, that was working with me and, and he rolled up and was like, he was like the son-in-law of the guy I was staying with. And, um, was a, through a connection of, uh, through Jeremy and who used to do USA cycling uh, program over there. And, um, we show up and, and first thing, like we, when you do these races, you sign up for a series and through that series, you know, you negotiate your start contracts and whatever, and they give you your, your parking passes for the series. So like, you show up and you've got a sticker on your car already, and they wave you in and they, they tell you what paddock to go to and whatever. But if you're like a, a day rate guy like me that's showing up and it's just like, hey, I'm just here to race, you know, I signed up. They're like, well, you we need a parking pass. Um, are like, oh, well, I have to come in to get the parking pass. I'm like, well, that's that's not my problem. Like, I don't know how you're going to get in without a parking pass, you know. Uh, so, um, so right away it was just like oh god this is weird i, I don't know what to do um and, and even my mechanic was just like yeah i'm trying to get this guy in like they're like well what race is he doing or what are you guys doing here he's like oh i'm here with this this elite rider and the parking guy like looks over at me and he just shakes his head and he's like no no <laughs> not that guy i don't know that guy <laughs> and i'm like no 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 seriously like i'm, I'm here to race the elite race and he's like no <laughs> no, not a chance. No, not not It's a fighter that I got it through. You know, uh, I win. I got my parking, and I, I passed four former world champions, uh, the current world champion, all these people. My jaw, my jaw is on the ground. I'm like, I I have no idea what to do. I can't find the sign in. No idea where it's at. All of a sudden, everyone who was just like, "Oh, don't try to speak." dutch we all know english no one knows english all of a sudden um <laughs> you know it's in like the french region and they're definitely definitely not drying um so i'm like oh god this is terrible um, and, and the courses are just bananas and so i just realized like right away that like we're not even doing the same sport to that degree of like this is this is terrifying this is huge everything about this is bigger and scarier um But oh my God, was it just exhilarating to do? I mean, I'm I'm starting at the back of these races and just murdering myself to get pulled, you know, with a lap to go. Um, and it just it just was really eye opening. I mean, every race I went to was an experience uh, that pushed me to 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 learn to to change everything up and to you know to learn on my feet. Um, and to go back and journal and, and, and think about like, oh God, I really fucked that up. Like, what do I got to do to actually like not get lapped? You know, that was my first goal. It was like, how do I not get lapped? Um, and you know, you go to these different races, you find races that like fit, fit the bill for what you, you think your, uh, skill sets are. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, you know, I get to pre-ride this course and this is a fun, like Hama it was like a really fun, like BMX flowy course. And finally, it was just like, boom, you know, top 25. i go from being, like, lapped yeah. to top 25. Like, okay, cool, you figure it out. Um, and people start giving you more respect. And the racers start, like, going from, like, I don't know who you are. There's not a chance you're going to ride in front of me. To, like, okay, cool, I've seen you ride before. It's okay, like, I'm not scared for you to be here. Um, I'll, I'll move you when I'm ready, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and that was another big big uh shift you know you go over there and, and also in a very physical sport uh, there's no waiting it's all full gas um you gotta be in front of the other person you gotta jump them. you gotta like you gotta ride the technical stuff first um and so it's just you're constantly fighting with people where as in the u.s you're kind of you can sit in groups and it's just not as aggressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from, from the first minute of being there, I was like, okay, this is this is a different sport, and this is going to be challenging.
1: Have How many seasons have you uh, raced over there? Five, six?
0: Yeah, I think I just rounded up my... Uh, sixth World Championship? Six. Okay. Is that right? Fifth? Fifth? Sixth? One of those things. I started with Tabor. Let's see, I did Tabor, uh, Zolder uh was after his older um luxembourg beals uh and then um uh denmark uh and then where were we this year we just got done in uh in switzerland so yeah just just finished up my sixth world championships
1: i would i would assume that through that many seasons that you would gain a lot of confidence just racing in Europe? And, and, um, did you find that, or did you find that every single race is kind of, uh, adjust, figure out the new things. There's new riding styles, new athletes. Um, did, can, do you approach it with a lot more confidence now than you did before?
0: Definitely. And that comes from knowing my strengths and my weaknesses. I mean, that that's what you don't know when you go into a new environment like that. Like, when you race in domestically or you race or you're you know, you race where you're used to racing. It's like doing your normal group ride than going out and, and riding with, you know going to some other state and riding in another group ride there. You don't know how good you are compared to other people. The courses are courses, like mud is mud, you know, hills are hills. Like you can you can adapt to those things, but you don't know where you sit with other people when you show up. So kind of focusing in on the controllables and and looking at where you're like, okay, I now know that taking away variables that are the other racers, you know, taking away that kind of variable, how do I match up on this course? Okay, great. I have an idea of where I fit on this course. Um, And then taking, like, your relative fitness and going like, okay, well, you know, I had this kind of fitness before. This is where I was. This is how I felt you know, at this time last year, and I did top 15. Great, cool. Um, Here's some new people. Here's some, there's like five people that aren't here that I normally race against, you know. You kind of, you add all those things up to give yourself an idea of where you might expect to end up, and that gives you some confidence. Granted, different courses on, you know, courses play out differently on different parts of the year, right? Like where you might have a race that's normally at the beginning of the season is now towards worlds. And that race is now going to be faster because everyone is ramping up and training for worlds. So depending on the level of the event, depending on, um, where they are on the calendar, depending on the weather, you know, you got to, you've got to give yourself a chance to get into your head and think like, okay, how can I best perform on this? What do I have to work on to do this? And what do I have to take advantage of in order to do this? And just doing that over the years has given me a lot of confidence to be able to um, know what to expect and know how to get myself out of a real bad situation.
1: (laughs) Well, obviously, throughout the years, you've had a lot of success in this. And um, from three-time national champion, correct? Yeah, yep. Um, and uh, and then racing a lot in Europe, um, two Pan Am Championships. Yeah. Okay. And um, it, so it seems to me like you went from th- throwing yourself into situations where you're like, I don't know, let's let's give it a shot, to now seeming like you're a little more calculated and a little more um, it, definitely a student of of your sport. Um, do you still find that? initial fun and excitement that you were, as you were explaining your first unsanctioned race in, in Florida, um, <laughs> do you, do you still get excited about racing?
0: <laughs> I do. And it, it, but that isn't necessarily always the case. And it's not necessarily always going to be the case because I love racing. I, I get really excited about it. I love riding my bike. I get really excited about that, but there's, there's hard days and there's hard times in, In my career, I've had some really high highs, and I've had a really cool experience where typically when I jump into something, I have at least enough enthusiasm to make it fun no matter how hard it is. However, with repetition, more variables pop up. The more times you do something, the more likely it is that something is going to happen, a mechanical, an injury. Um, fatigue you know like the more you repeat the more likely something is going to pop up and that can be tough and that has been tough for me Um, I've been you know I I have definitely not hidden the fact that I've had really hard times in in my career Mm -hmm. Um, in fact the last couple of years have been really hard they've been really really hard two years ago was I'd say two years ago was probably one of the hardest years of my entire life last year was not much easier. Um, And sometimes it can be very difficult to, to find that, that joy that does keep me going. And, um, you know, you got to find ways to do that. And that, that can be tough. That can be tough for sure. Yeah. So while we were just
2: talking about, you know, finding that fun in it and do you ever find yourself having the opportunities throughout the season to kind of do a fun event that it that isn't really counting towards your season but something you just kind of want to do
0: yeah sometimes i mean the the cyclocross even the cyclocross season can be very tough because that's my go time like i i'm a i'm i'm a pretty add person and it takes a lot to uh, kind of keep me on task with things. But once I get on task and once I figure out my workflow and how to do that, um, I, I become very focused and it's very difficult for me to break that focus. Um, so from year to year, I mean, especially once I started wish- winning national championships, I mean, for me, it was like, you know, how do I get into the top 10? How do I get to the top five? How do I get onto the podium? How do I make the podium a regular thing. How do I win? Great. How do I make winning a regular thing? And then, you know, how do I win on a single day event? You know, when one, one thing is, is the main focus. And I became so good at that. we given the scenarios, you know, given, given the players that we have in the, in the domestic scene and given the kind of level of ability and, and just repeatability that I've been able to, uh, really fine tune, it's very easy for me to get into that. Like, okay, Tuesday, I do this Wednesday. I do this Thursday. I do this Saturday and Sunday. I don't fuck around, you know, like <laughs> it's, uh, you know, everything has gets calculated. I mean, there was, there was a point where, you know, I was weighing myself in the morning and in the evening. Um, uh, I was Ugh. food, food logging for, i probably food logged for two years straight. I didn't mm-hmm. miss a single thing went into my mouth without it being logged. Um, you know, all of my, all of my training went into online training. Uh, I had a paper journal, um, you know, did three days a week in the gym, um, have a sports psychologist, have, uh, you know, like a trainer, uh, my coach, you, you know, you just, you do all of these little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, sleep tracking and all these things. And, um, all of a sudden you, you do all that for a season and you look up and you, you realize that you, you forgot to do anything fun. (laughs) Like you absolutely, you forgot, you forgot that people were, were waiting for you to hang out with them or to do, you know, whether it's your friends or your partner or, or your teammates or whatever, you know, you're just, you're so focused. Um, So I did get to a point where I was like, I, all I'm doing is like working really hard to do this and i'm not i'm not really doing those things that i really enjoyed before i'm not really getting to do those like fun events outside of the summer which i was able to do i was able to afford myself the fun events so that i had that time to really get in you know august through february just crush myself to get things done um and now i get to actually do a little bit more of that now i i actually have um more of that kind of scheduled in and I'm giving myself more room to have fun and to do fun events like that.
2: Trevor was able to talk to, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the Elma grand prix. It's a big cyclocross race here in Michigan. And, uh, yeah, I've heard of it. Trevor talked to JB, who's the race director from it. And he actually had a few questions for you. Oh, cool. Cool. Cool.
1: Yeah. Shoot. Um, this might be a big, kind of a big topic. Um, but uh, it kind of really interests Sheldon and I. We're both we love gravel cycling, and, and uh, Michigan has has a great gravel scene right now. And of I've course, as, as you as you see, like the the progression of gravel, um, you see less and less road racing, especially here in Michigan. But JB was wondering if uh, if you are worried, or or if you see. That uh, gravel, the 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 upswing of gravel is kind of hurting the the national cyclocross scene.
0: Um, I don't think so. I don't think it is. I mean, <clears throat> or helping. I, I, yeah. I I also don't think that it's necessarily hurting the road scene. I think what's what's happening to the road scene is happening to the road scene, regardless of the, sure. you know the popularity of gravel. Um. And the same thing with cyclocross. I I think the the best part about those two things is that they're complementary. That cyclocross and gravel require, to a T, the same amount of, you know, the same equipment. Um, (laughs) Cyclocross is a little more equipment intensive. um, And obviously different seasons with some overlap. um, But also give people the opportunity to kind of like, ah. I carry over the like the joy they find in either sport, um, so so I don't think that that gravel's hurting cyclocross. I think what's happening to cyclocross is due, good or bad, is due to what happens in cyclocross. I don't think it has anything to do with gravel. Gravel is growing on its own. Gravel is growing because of the merits of gravel, because of how interested people are in in it, how accessible it is to people, how many people don't have a gravel bike and all of a sudden have an opportunity to buy another bike, right? Like, <laughs> there are a lot of pluses to getting involved in gravel. Um, and I don't, again, I just don't think that something that, there is something that cyclocross is doing uh, that's driving people to gravel over it. And I don't think there's anything necessarily that road is doing to drive people to it um, other than Requiring a lot of time, being places you know that you might not really care to be at. Like, I don't know. Sometimes road races are they're boring. Like you go, <laughs> you like meet a, everybody in like some school parking lot. You go hang out at the porta potties, and then like you go get dropped, and then you go home. Like it's not, <laughs> you know, <road> races, <laughs> like that's just not appealing to people. Um, I think the cool thing about cyclocross is that you can get lapped. And you can either keep going or you can just go hang out. Like you still have the opportunity to do that. And the same thing with gravel. If you get dropped from whatever group you're in, or you don't want to go the same pace as other people, you're still just out on the course and you're just doing it. It's not a do or die thing. You don't have to be in the front to have fun. It's still beautiful places. There's still people to ride with. There's still food to eat. You know, it's a you get you get what you want out of it. Road is very much it's win or lose in that. And I just don't think that appeals to a lot of people anymore. I have, um, I have another
1: question from JB, but I want to wait on it. But, uh, another cyclocross friend of ours, Sarah Williams, she was kind of wondering how you, or, um, if you have any advice for all of us and how how do we stay motivated, especially right now when we can't get out and, uh, ride group rides and and do all these things.
0: Whew, that's a tough one i mean i, I struggle with that you know yeah. I, I i don't think anybody is immune to to dealing with with motivational loss at this time there's a lot of bigger picture things that are going on uh, that require our our bandwidth and our attention i mean there's only so much motivation to do things and cycling is an extracurricular for almost everybody that does it I mean, even currently, there's no races on the professional calendar. So really, there's nothing for us to train for. As a professional, there's nothing to train for. I can keep a relative fitness, but it's really difficult for me to get up and say, like, you know what I want to do? I want to go ride four hours in the rain. No, I don't want (laughs) to do that at all. (laughs) Like, that is absolutely not what I want to do. What I've been doing lately is jumping on my touring bike and going to hang out. I put a blanket in the basket and I go like find somewhere to jam out and sit and hang out in nature. Um, So, so to answer the question, it's, it's, it's It's, it's kind of time to figure out what about cycling motivates you. Not what about your racing motivates you, but what about cycling motivates you? Does getting on Strava and like connecting with a few friends and talking to five or six people while you ride for, as long as you want 45 minutes an hour like if that drives you go do that if riding around the block with your partner or your kids like if that's what drives you and and that gets you on the bike do that connect in ways that are going to reconnect you with what you actually care about in bikes because racing is racing comes and goes fitness comes and goes and you can always get fitness back um and i think that's what we're all worried about right now it's like oh i had these plans I had these goals, and now, like, I don't know what to do. What did you do before you had racing? Ride your bike. Go have fun. Or don't ride your bike. No one's going to no fault anybody for, for not riding their bike for a week or a couple of days or for the month. Um, we all have families to take care of, and we all have big issues. We have, we have our health to take care of. I mean, you could it's, – it's, really, it's a really bad time to get in a bike crash right now. Um, yeah, across the world, and there are priorities there. So, I think keep your family as a priority and keep your keep your mental health as a priority, and and find some fun in whatever you're doing. Do something else. Do a little bit of jogging. Do some push-ups. You know, like there's plenty to do if you don't have the motivation right now.
2: My motivation has always been the parking lot beers, and I can say that I honestly <laughs> prefer <it> the most. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, solid, solid.:
1: <laughs> So uh, a question I have is, um, I know uh, from your Instagram and other interviews you've given uh, that you're a big fan of music. And I was wondering if you look at music as a, uh, a separation, an escape from maybe some of the uh, uh, the work that you put into your training or your cycling life, or is it kind of all connected that you use a little bit of the music to inspire and then you bring that to your cycling and kind of vice versa?
0: You know, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, music for me has always been, um, it's always been a big draw. Um, I mean, ever since since I was a little kid, I mean, just, uh, I used to spend a lot of time just digging through my parents, um, record collection and, and, you know, playing the old Stones albums and the Almonds Brothers, and um, you know, the Bonnie Raitt and stuff like that. You know, just like I've always had a really big connection with music. I've always, I, you know, for a long time, I was homeschooled for a little while, and I was the youngest out of out of all my family, and I spent a lot of time alone um, in my kind of own world and my imagination, and doing my own things, and and music kept me company through a lot of that, and to a big extent it also does that now i've i've drawn connection from a lot of life experiences to the music that i have and that's kind of what's connected me with with the physical form with records in general uh or, or specifically records like I don't buy a lot of new music and, and you know, there's a lot of things. <laughs> there's a lot of people that say, or, or, you know, science says that you don't really form new tastes kind of after a certain point. But sure. for me, I, I go through the record store and I flip through Ben's and I'm like, Oh man, this album connects me with this person and this time, good or bad. And it's the soundtrack to that period. And, and that's the way it's always been for me. I, I'm an album person. Like I don't usually like playlists that much. I think through Spotify, I've kind of changed my tune a little bit on that, but I've always been a listen to an album over and over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. person uh, or listen to a catalog. I mean, I'll pull out like, you know, whoever I'm listening to, I'll pull out, you know, Cat Power or whatever and I'll I'll go through the catalog. I'll I'll play, you know, all five or four of her albums that I do have. Um, And it always connects me to a mood and a time period in my life that I can always relive through that. Um, it's interesting that, you know, for a long time I would ride with headphones and I think a lot of people ride with headphones because, you know, you, you kind of get out and you, I I don't know. I think a lot of people have a hard time being on the bike for a long time. People have a hard time being in their head for any amount of time. Um, and eventually I, I found that I, would get frustrated and, and rides would last forever to me. Like an hour ride would just be forever. It would feel like a three hour ride, let alone doing a three hour ride with listening to music. It's just the repetition. And, um, and I found that I couldn't really be in both spaces at the same time. And getting rid of the music and just riding cued me in to everything that was going on around me. I started listening to my breath. I started listening to the birds. I started listening to the water I started directing, I noticed a huge change in where I rode. From when I had headphones in, I would ride on bigger roads, I would ride on noisier roads, I would ride through towns, etc. When I didn't, I was pushed away from all that road noise, all that like congestion, and I would end up in more and more rural places. The less music I listened to, the more rural places I ended up in. And I realized that I connect with sound, whether it's music or whether it's, just intrinsic sound it's natural sound i connect through that and i can always remember and relate to those time periods um, whether it was a ride or a date or a hike or or a concert or whatever um just sound in general i, I connect with in a really big way beautiful um i uh okay i will gonna-
1: I think we'll close with JB's last question because it's fantastic. But I do want to hear a little bit about um, as much as you want to talk about, I mean, you you just like released something pretty recently that you're, you're going to, you're starting to coach and your, your, your career is changing a little bit that it's going to look a little different than it has the last few years. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about that at all?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, things change, times change. Obviously, obviously, it, it, it's an no lie that we're all of our lives are changing to some degree currently. Um, and if they haven't, they will soon. Um, this time that we're living in is forcing change on everyone. And uh, I'm absolutely not immune to that. Um, I did five years on, on Canada Elf Cycle Across World, and uh, this year they didn't have room to keep me. Um there's I mean, just like we've all seen big downturns in in uh race participation in actual races worldwide. Um, you know, there's there's less sponsorship dollars out there. There's less support for huge programs like Canadale the World. Um that doesn't necessarily end my involvement with Canadale and as of now I am figuring out what my role in cyclocross looks like and what my career looks like, whether it's a full UCI team again, um, whether it's a Devo program, you know, I'm not sure, but I'm going to continue to race. I have, I have uh, no intention of retiring at the moment. Um, But if you were to ask me a month ago, you know, okay you don't have a team what do you want to do i would have said i'm going to make a team and i'm going to keep racing as hard as i can and i'm going to keep doing this but but the reality is that the the landscape looks different it Mm -hmm. it's not as easy as like well i'll just put together another team um you know i gotta read i'm reading the room on this one and it's it's our landscape isn't going to look the same when we pop back in um it already doesn't look the same before this happened before this pandemic happened um, I mean, you see the, the change from big programs to, to small grassroots teams, to people doing gravel, to, to doing privateer programs. The landscape in the U.S. looks different. Um, it looks different all across the world, but really looks different in the U.S. And I think we've always struggled with our kind of identity as a racing community. Um, and I want to prepare myself in, to, to kind of change with that and to be, to be hip to what's going on and, and to really figure out how best my the remainder of my career can both uh fit my needs but also make an impact on on the racing that i do so part of that for me uh is coaching i have had a just a a a tremendous uh experience with some of the best coaches and some of the best mentorship i could absolutely ever uh, ever expect to have or ever want i mean just just from day one i've 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 always been a mentorship person even in school it just wasn't my thing I, I always gravitated towards people um that were doing things that had passion for them and i found that i wanted to help those people and i wanted their help and i wanted to do what they were doing and and for me my biggest relationships have been with, with mentors that have coached me, uh, whether it been Al, whether it been Jerry powers, you know, whether it been, you know, Tim, uh, Tim Johnson or any of these other people that like, I've just kind of latched onto my, all my, you know, my last coach, Jim Miller, like, you know, taught me just how to be self-sufficient and resilient and, and to really trust myself and, and to know, um, what actually works you know, that knowing the numbers is one thing and knowing what actually works in the real world and how to flow with that is, is just so important mm-hmm. um, and is so difficult to translate to people. And when, you know, I have all these people around me going like, hey, you have the gift to, to translate this for people you have an opportunity here to take what you have learned to take all those really hard situations that you've been in that you've come out on top on or just been through and and actually learn something from to translate that to other people and to help them get through their hard times and to get get them to the point where 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 they're both succeeding in their goals but also finding happiness and finding fun in in the sport they want to do so my initial uh, kind of rollout for this was to bring in a few athletes from now till the, the worlds in Louisville uh, or in, not Louisville, but in, um, in Fayetteville in 2022 and just kind of, you know, have it a nat- have it be this natural progression of, of athletes coming in and um, me kind of still maintaining this bandwidth to race at the, at the level that I wanted to. Um, that looks different now. So, I'm you know I just found myself ready and willing to to take on a full-time load and see where my racing kind of lies uh, on the on the peripheral of that and <clears throat> take it day t- by day so that's where I'm at <laughs> yeah. well just uh, seeing your career
1: as an athlete and having all that success, and then just talking to you for the last hour or so—I mean, I I have no doubt that you will do very well as a coach, as a mentor. It sounds like your um, sounds like a, a perfect role for you for sure.
0: I, I think so. I think it, it's honestly when I look back at my my life and my career, uh, I, I just I can't even count how many mentors I've had in my life and and how many experiences that I've had through mentoring other people, whether I knew I was doing that or not, that made the most difference to me. Um, You know, you often think, like, oh, well, I know what I'm doing in this scenario. Like, let me help this person, uh, you know, while we go through this together. And uh, I found at some point that I, I, I wasn't given the opportunity to do that anymore. You know, I was pretty isolated on the team that I was on, and I was very focused on results for myself. And and this goes back to our earlier conversation where I, I started to lose that fun and that drive to be there every day. And like, you know, I, I was just starting to like consider what I was doing. And what I really realized was I was missing the opportunity to help those people around me um, in a considerable way. And that just killed me. And so in order to kind of find that fun and, and push myself again, uh, I, I just started reaching out more and I just started, like it started with my, with my teammates, you know, it started with the younger team teammates on, on my program. And, you know, with, with Katie Klaus or with Curtis White or, or the Devo program, you know, Lane Mahar and, and all these people in, and then I get the opportunity to work with USA cycling and, and through there, you know, I went from being a member that was never really part of that (laughs) development program or that um, actual national team. Yeah, I I raced under the national team colors, but I was never, I've never been afforded the, or, you know, I never had the opportunity to be part of the team, to do two team things. And for that matter, there wasn't even that much of that. So to even do, and, you know, this last year, especially where I saw this big hole of like, Hey, we're in Europe and we have all of these athletes together. Why aren't we doing things together? Like, why aren't we working together? Why aren't we helping each other? Why aren't we mentoring one another? And, and I just jumped on that, you know, through the coaches that were there, through through Pete Weber. And, um, uh, you know, it's just a really good opportunity, um, to, to get more hands on, to feel part of a community again. And I can't tell you, like, how much that just drove me, how much I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what my result is today because I know I'm doing everything I can. I know what the expectations are of me, and I've already done something really great today. Like It pushed me so much more, and then I got into the race, and I wasn't exhausted anymore. I had just all this energy to push and be be that athlete that I wanted to be again, and I thought for the first time in a long time that I had found a calling beyond just the result. And man, that was just really powerful for me. That's so,
2: great. as you are, you know, starting this new venture in your career going more into or starting up the coaching, do you see yourself as you start to wind down at, at whatever point it's going to be, um racing, do you think you're going to see yourself kind of venturing out and doing some of the more fun events that you've, you've seen on people's schedules before that you haven't been able to necessarily afford in your racing career.
0: Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, that that was kind of, I mean, that was my big goal this summer. Uh, I did BC bike race last year. Um, and you know, I found myself riding with, with Kerry Werner and, and Mike Vandenham and, uh, you know, Jeff Kabush and all these people that I'm just like, we're racing our asses off. We're living in tents together and eating ice cream at night, drinking a beer. We're not racing for prize money. And we're just, we're like hooting and hollering, ripping down trails and having the most fun. And we're transferring and riding these ferries together. And it just was so cool. And it reminded me, you know, why I, I really liked getting out and, and doing a lot of these races. So, you know, I kind of look back at all my memories of my most fond memories of racing and th- and there's some really big, there's some big highs like like winning big titles and stuff. I mean, you, you'll, you'll never be able to replace those, but there's also those, those really good times where I was able to go just kill myself with my friends and go have, you know, a pizza and a beer afterwards. And like, those are also irreplaceable. <laughs> and so I, I really want, I, I really do, see myself getting, you know, back into that, especially once, you know, we can all ride together. I think we're all going to be ready for a pizza and a beer and a bike ride. (laughs) You mentioned, uh, uh,
2: here in Michigan, we have a, an event. I don't know if you've uh, heard of the Iceman Cometh Challenge. I
0: have, I've heard of it. When it's
2: it's muddy, uh, it's basically a 30 mile cyclocross course. (laughs) (laughs) uh it's usually the the first week of november but uh as as you wind down i would highly recommend uh putting that one on a calendar because it's uh it is a party
0: yeah absolutely oh it's definitely on my calendar actually uh i was talking to a former winner troy wells uh about that race uh not too long ago and i just it sounds like so much fun i think I i even called him he uh he's actually um my tax person now um and, and i think we called each other and, and half of our conversation was about bike riding you know it's always about bike riding and then the other half is like the dirty taxes right and so i think one us was like dude d- do i need to do ice Like, it looks awesome and he's like absolutely it
2: is, it is an absolute riot of a race like no matter like how the day goes it's just it's Tons of beer afterwards and the atmosphere in the forest afterwards is just this huge party. It's definitely, so cool. definitely worth checking out. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. I, I'm into it. I mean, I did, um, I did Vermont overland this last year and I hadn't done it since the inaugural, uh, one probably God, I was on at Stella's pro cycling then. So maybe it was 2015 or something. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I, I ride gravel roads every day. And I ride trails every day on my road bike and my gravel bike or you know whatever my cross bike. And um, there's nothing particular about gravel racing that necessarily excites me over one racing or another. It it, it all looks fun to me. Um, but doing Vermont Overland, um, having be you know pretty close and just having so many friends there and getting out there, uh, I actually had pretty expect pretty big expectations for myself for the race itself and and I got dropped really quick. It just was a terrible day for me. Like I just, everything went wrong and like, and I was just sulking and I was like riding and I was just like, oh, this is so dumb. What am I doing? And then I just started slowly picking up my friends and all of a sudden I'm riding with all my friends. We're riding gravel roads and you know, 20 minutes later we're like skidding and yelling at each other <laughs> and having fun. And I'm like, oh yeah, you idiot. You get caught up in all this dumb stuff. Like it doesn't matter if you get dropped, like just go have fun. Like, me and Tim Johnson shredding some trails and, and having beers afterwards. That's, that's what I call fun.
1: Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steven. This was, this was great. We really appreciate your time. I do. I do want to close with this question from JB. Um, yeah, shoot. Uh, so we, we established that you grew up in Florida. You've spent a lot of time in Belgium. Um, he was wondering, let me, let me pull it up. Cause I want to get the, get it all right. But he said, what's the most Belgian thing about Florida? And conversely, what's the most Florida thing about Belgium?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, I You know, it's it's kind of funny that he asked that because I have drawn a lot of comparisons in the two places. Um, I mean, I'm from Northwest Florida. Yeah. So it's like, it's pretty different. Like, a lot of people have been to Florida. They've been to South Florida. Uh, you know, few people have been to Central Florida. Very few people have been to the Panhandle. And even less people have outside of the military have been to um you know northwest florida and it's very much like it's farm fields and then like the beach i don't know (laughs) like it's it's, they're called the redneck riviera i mean it's it's very different so in a lot of ways you just draw these comparisons like where i'm riding around in these like field roads it's like relatively flat kind of rolling windy uh you know pine trees and like kind of manicured forest and field and sometimes I could just close my eyes and open them and I'm just back in Belgium or I'm, or I'm in the Netherlands or, or, or that huh. part of France you know whatever and like sometimes I'm in Florida I just yeah, I can hardly tell at times um, outside of the red clay it's, it's really difficult um, you know the, the people are, are similar in a lot of ways too it's, it's, a, it's a working class area um, in Finska, it's a, it's a lot of military. I mean, Flanders is Flanders is a working class part of of the country. I mean, it you know was just a really kind of put down half of the country where you had the, you know, you had Wallonia, we had, you had, you had Brussels and the French speaking kind of ruling class that just really put down the farm, the farmers and the, the, the the factory workers that lived in, in Flanders. It's a lot like that in Pensacola where like, you just have this, this blue collar working environment. There's, there's farmers, there's, you know, there's forest industry workers, there's paper mill workers, there's the military. Um, And, and then you just have this like kind of, big class divide. Uh, Florida is a lot more racially diverse. That's for sure. Uh, it's hotter. That is for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's actually probably more inches of rain in Florida than there is in Belgium. It just all doesn't come down at once, uh, in Belgium. It just kind of drizzles out over six months of the year. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I definitely would say the party cultures between the two are redneck chic, if you will. Um, <laughs> they definitely get wild in their own ways. They definitely do a lot of cheap beer drinking um, and are no strangers to tailgating. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. yeah, i I feel right at home, <laughs> and I. Don't like- yeah
1: <laughs> Well, th- thank you Stephen. this was this was great we really appreciate it and uh yeah we we wish you all the success um with whatever this season turns into and then and then from then on
2: if you ever cool to ice man let us know
0: I will. I know. I certainly will. It, yeah, it's definitely. Sure. It, it's literally written down on my list of, <laughs> of events that I want to do. So, I look forward to it. Um and yeah, I really thank you guys for reaching out and, and making this happen. It was really fun.
1: The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Mid Pack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike
2: accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com or call our hotline 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a
1: rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen.
2: Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media,
1: graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. Don't forget to call in for your chance to win a KOM trainer wheel block.
2: Thank you to Stephen Hyde for setting time aside to sit down and talk with us and the mid-pack. And of course, thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast.
1: Keep your chain clean. Get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack. Boom. Thank you so much, Stephen. Perfect.